This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. Uh, Psalm chapter one is where we're going to be. Um, I could do. I could double mic it. No, no, that's no good. That's where, that's where reverb comes in, right? You know what's called feedback. That's the word. That's the word. Feedback. Feedback. Yes. So if I were to get another tattoo, um, I want it to be a tree, and not the not the logo of the church, um, but a tree. The the tree that is in Psalm one uh, one three. Uh, also Jeremiah seventeen seven to eight. I'm gonna read. I'm gonna read both of them here. Um, so Psalm one three. It says that uh, he or she. Uh, is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. And then in Jeremiah 17, verse 7 and 8, it says, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. For its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Man, come on, that, that's, like, that's what I want to be true of my life. You know, it, it, I, I'm assuming everybody else too. What I love about this is it doesn't, like, it acknowledges that there's drought. It, it acknowledges that there are hard seasons, but what's great about this tree is that it, it doesn't wither. That its roots are deep enough that it stands firm. That when the storm comes, it's still standing strong. It's still it's still firm and vibrant and thriving, right? Like I, I want to be that tree. I want to have a life that isn't just you know going through the motions. So and then when a storm comes, it's like oh, like I want to have a life that that is thriving no matter what. That even when the world around us, hello 2020, is chaos. That, that my, my life is represented by deep roots and deep, and deep faith. I have, I have two pictures of, of trees. Um, the first one is a tree outside of our office, a.k.a. Stinson's, um, over there on um, Medical Plaza, Burnett Road area. Um, it, it, no, no, no wrong, wrong tree, wrong tree. That's not, that's not, that's not it, that's not it, sorry. That one. That's the tree outside of our office. I love that tree. Like, I'll oftentimes just go walk outside and just kind of hang out under it. I think the, the other people in the offices are like, who is this creep that is frequently just kind of like circling this tree? Um, but I'll hang outside. I love that tree. Like, if I were to be a tree, I want to be that tree. That, that thing is thick at its base. Like, it's not going anywhere. It doesn't matter what happens. That tree is going to be there um, for the long haul. Um, and then we have the tree that's presently in my backyard. Robert, go ahead and show us the other tree there. Um, that is a tree presently in our backyard. You can see the top, like it's like just kind of just kind of dangling there. Um, so now let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. One tree is clearly superior <laughs> one tree is vibrant and alive and thriving and and has spread its branches in such that random people can walk underneath said branches and receive shade on hot days right like it is blessing the world around us um the other tree is like it just needs to be taken out honestly it just needs to be pulled pulled out of the ground so if your life were to be a tree which tree would you want your life to be represented by? Tree number one is the Stinson's tree. Tree number two is the Johnson Backyard tree. 
So tree number one, um, show of hands if, if that's what you want your life to be represented by. Tree number one is a Stinson's tree. Don't, no, be honest. Don't just say that because it's like, oh, this is fun. Like, raise it high. If that's what you want, I want to get a, an accurate number. I'm expecting 100% participation here. Tree number one is the full tree. All right, if you want to be the Johnson backyard tree, if that's what you want your life to be, show of hands. I, I got to get an accurate number. This is going in the, the, like the permanent logs. Mike, are you taking, no, keeping, got it? Thank you. File this away. It was um, however many to zero, as best I can tell, unless someone's like kind of doing that number. Look, it's, it's like, come on, that, wasn't, that was a gimme. That was a gimme. We all, we all want to be the Stinson's tree. Like if we're going to be a tree, we all, it's, it's obvious, we want to be that tree versus the broken tree that is just like there. It's just a stick. Uh, it's not alive. Um, we all want to be the tree that's alive and is vibrant and is thriving, and that is perfectly okay. That is what the Bible actually calls us to. Like God himself is like, hey, there's two trees. I created you to want to be the vibrant, thriving tree. The vibrant, vibrant? I said vibrant, didn't I? The vibrant, thriving tree. Like that's how God created us. So it's okay that you want to be that tree and not the dead tree. Like there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, God's like, yes, you're on track for the right thing. Your desires are working properly. If you want to be the dead tree, Something is wrong. Something's off in, in how we've been created. And so God's created us that way. And the incredible thing from beginning to end of the Bible, he's told us how to be that tree. Like he's not keeping that a secret. So, so then the question becomes, okay, we all want to be that tree. Like that's not a question. We don't have to like say, oh man, do you really? You do. The question becomes, what do we believe ultimately makes us like that? What do we really think is going to make us people that are like the Stinson's tree and not the Johnson backyard tree? And if you're like, I don't really know, here's what I will tell you. Your life, what we do in our life, my life, it, if, if you were to record it minute by minute, moment by moment, the things I think about, where my heart is, my affections, and what I do, my life will tell you what I think ultimately points me to life. If I truly believe that the fullness of life is found in being near God and being like Jesus, if I truly believe that, then that's what my life will represent. If I truly believe that, yeah, maybe it's a little bit of Jesus, but it's also a little bit of money, then you're going to see a split, right? I want some of Jesus, but I also want some of this money. And that, that, that's right up there with Jesus. If I truly believe that a, a happy marriage with kids, that that's ultimately what is going to make me that vibrant, thriving tree, then you'll see my life devoted more towards that than towards, towards God. So, the question becomes, what do we actually believe is going to give us that answer? If you're sitting here today and you're like, gosh, Corey, I, I want to be that tree. How do, I, how do I become that thriving, abundant tree? I would tell you first, it is faith in Jesus alone. If you've never trusted Jesus, if you've never trusted in him, it's only through Jesus' perfect life and his sacrificial death for our sins and his resurrection that he who is alive today is 
able to offer us life, to be a living tree. The Bible says we are born into this world spiritually dead. We're born like the backyard tree. Because we are spiritually sinful and thus we are separated from God, the source of life. Jesus is who comes and stands in between and reconciles us back into a relationship with God. And so if you're like, man, I, wanna, I want an abundant, thriving life, it is first and foremost faith in Jesus and what he has done for us. And that is enough. And then we talked about how now to grow into that, right? Like I can be a little bitty, like a, a live tree, but just kind of really little and, 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 you know, really pushed over really easy, but I'm alive. O or I can grow as a tree into, a, into a, you know, a deep-rooted, abundant, thriving tree that, that isn't going to be blown over when hardship comes, that is going to bless others around us, that is going to produce fruit and green leaves no matter what's going on around us, right? So how do we then grow into that? How do we know not just eternal life in heaven, but how do we know today the fullness of eternal life? I've been reading this book by Tim Keller. It's called Prayer. Um, there's a couple copies out. No, there's just one copy out yonder now. Um, but we can order some more. And, and he talks about in one of the chapters um, on page uh, 165. That means nothing to you right now, but that's what page it's on. He talks about how, this, he gives this illustration. He says, imagine you get a notice that someone left you some money, but for various reasons, you assume it is a very modest amount. You get busy and don't get around to even checking on it for quite a while. Finally, you do so and are thunderstruck to discover it was a fortune and you had not been doing anything with it. You were actually rich, but living poor. This is what Paul wants his Christian friends to avoid, and only through encountering God can they avoid it. The Bible tells us that when we trust Christ, we have everything we need in Jesus to live the fullness of life. It's already given to us. The full measure of every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places is given to us in Jesus because his spirit comes and lives in us, and yet we live like in spiritual poverty, where God is saying he's opened up the full doors to the abundance of heaven, and yet we live like beggars. We settle for less than what Jesus came to bring us. And so how do, we get, how do we grab hold of the fullness of life that Christ came to bring us? How do, we, how do we really experientially, not just like cognitively, like I know what the Bible says and I know what some preachers say or whatever, but like how do we have an experience with God that we're just like, I don't even know how to put into words. Like what is that going to look like? Because I believe that that is what God wants us to have. I believe that he wants us to know he is a treasure, the treasure that, that literally we would leave everything else in order to grab more of. And, and I just don't see that in my own life where I'm really like, okay, yeah, I would get rid of all of that. If it means more of God, th there's a list of things I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll get rid of everything, but please don't touch these five things. Please. Right? What would it look like to value Christ so much that we're like, okay, take the five. If it means more of him, great. Psalm 1, it, 
tells us. Like it gives us just a clear blueprint. He says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Let me go over to Jeremiah 17 again, because it's, it's such a parallel. Jeremiah says in verse 5, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness and in inhabited salt land. But blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. Psalm 1, verse 3, He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Man, come on, who doesn't want that for their life? Who doesn't want Corey Johnson, dot, 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 in all that he does, he prospers? Like, let's not be silly here. We all, we all want that, all of us. And God is very clear in what that looks like. He says, blessed is the man. The word blessed, it actually means happy, fortunate, full of life, shalom, peace, abundance. Like, this is God's word. He's telling us how to be happy. I think in the, like, the Christian world, at least in, in our culture, we've been so afraid of this prosperity gospel that's like, hey, if you trust Jesus, everything is going to be happy and wonderful and blessed and lovely, and you're going to have all this money, and your life is going to be perfect, and we've been so afraid of that that we're like, whoa, the, that's wrong, right? You, there's going to be suffering, and there's going to be hardship, and there's going to be... I think we've swung so far that we've started to see God almost as this like mean, bullyish father figure that's like come here son i gotta teach you a hard lesson it's for your good right come here daughter this is so that you grow up to be better let me let me tell you i think we've started to view god as this like crushing authoritative figure man god wants us to be happy in him he wants us to be blessed in him the reason he created us was to find the fullness of life that is in his presence God is for us. Now, yes, there's going to be suffering and there's going to be brokenness and there's going to be hurt. We live in a broken world and we are not perfect yet. We're going to hurt others and others are going to hurt us. There's going to be catastrophe in the world around us. But the, the miracle of knowing Christ is that even in those circumstances, we can be happy because we have the fullness of happiness in us. So now let me be really candid here. Even that exact phrase that I just said, I don't know that I've experienced. I'm saying that by faith in what this says. Because this is what the word says, is that I can be blessed and full and happy regardless of the circumstances around me, but I don't know that I've gotten to the place where I've so tasted Jesus that, that the circumstances don't affect me like they used to. Does that make sense? So I'm just, I'm just saying that to, to tell you I, I'm in this journey too. I'm, I'm not there yet. But this is the unrest that God has put in my soul that he's not holding out on us. 
He's not trying to pull me off to the corner and teach me some tough lesson all the time. He's for us. He's for our happiness. He just wants us to let go of the things that we think are going to make us happy that are actually killing us. And to grab hold of Him and to trust that even when we let go of those other things, He's good for it and He's better. And so he tells us, blessed is the man, happy is the person, the the full, flourishing, abundant tree, the one with deep roots and is producing fruit and is green, the Stinson tree, not the backyard tree. Blessed is that person. It is there for us to have. We've got to stop thinking of God as some scarcity mentality. He's abundant. And when you start to imagine, like, oh my gosh, how abundant God is, Ephesians 3 says that he is far more abundantly than all of, that our mental capacity can even think of or imagine. So just go ahead and go crazy. Like, just get wild in thinking about how great and abundant God is, and he's like, that's fantastic, you're just starting. That should blow our minds a little bit. says blessed is the man but he tells us there's one of two ways to go so right here today what is it the 22nd yep november 22nd 1055 a.m you and i sit at a crossroads we're sitting at a point and god is saying hey 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 there is a blessed full life for you to have And the enemy, the devil, is saying, hey, 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 look over here. Walk this way. We are at a crossroads at every moment. Are we going to trust God and follow him? Or are we going to trust in the counsel of the wicked who say, no, no, this is more fun. This is more immediately gratifying. Are we going to trust in the counsel of the predominant culture that says, no, man, what's 2020? Times have changed. We can, we can tweak this to fit our desires. It's okay. We can still use this. It's just the word that we thought it meant this, it actually means this. If we walk in the counsel of the wicked... We're like the chaff that the wind blows away. Like we're, we're weaker than the dead tree in my backyard. And God says, trust me. Walk in my counsel. And the enemy says, hey, no, no, no. Look at those around you. Trust in them. Go, go and, and stand in the way of sinners. Go and plant your feet in the life of those who are opposed to God. Go and, go and settle yourself around those advice givers. Go and sit in the seat of scoffers. Go and entertain conversation of those who, who mock God and his word. Really, God is saying, look, there is a blessed life and it's trusting in me, but there's also another way that you can live and it's trusting in the ungodly. It's leaning in things that are not of God to give us our answers and our hope and our life. That's what Jeremiah 17 says as well. 
those who trust in their own strength, who trust in others, who trust in the world around them, if our trust and our confidence and our belief is that anything of this world is going to be our ultimate satisfaction, then we are on the path towards the wicked and the sinners and the scoffers. And it's not the path that leads to that abundant life, that tree that that we all really want to be. Proverbs 13, 20 is a, is a great proverb. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. What are the influences in your life? Who are the, the voices that you are not just listening to, but, but giving authority and credence to in your life? There's a, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's a thing, the, the five friend factor. Take your closest five friends, and, and the average of those friends is most likely what you look like. Right, the people that we trust in our lives, that's what we most likely look like. So, so who are the influences in your life? What are the voices telling you which way to go? What's giving you counsel? Is it yourself? Gosh, we are such a self-sufficient, we think so highly of ourselves. We're so smart and educated and able. And so we're like, man, I can deduce this, and if I run this, if I do that, then that's going to go bad, and if I do this, then this is going to go bad, and if I do this, then this is going to go bad. And that's what Peter did. He got out of the boat, and the waves were going and everything, and he's walking to Jesus, and then he's like, let me look at the waves over here. Let me make sure everything's going okay, and he starts to sink. Because he, he took his eyes off of Jesus and started looking and trusting in the surroundings or trusting in himself. Do you trust more in what makes sense to you or in the black and white words of God? What about your friends? Are those the people that have influence in your life? I mean, yes, they do. Where are they pointing you? Do your friends, your closest friends, do they cause you to love Jesus more? Or do they cause you to compromise? Do the people that you surround yourself with, do they, do they encourage you and stretch you in your faith to, to look to Jesus, to find joy and satisfaction and deep roots in Him? Or are they leading you to just test the boundaries, toe the line? It's okay. Or heck, are they just leading you the complete wrong way altogether? Jesus, man, he was the friend of sinners, right? He was at, man, he went to the parties, he was there, he got invited and he went, but those were not his people. Those were not his influencers. Those are not the people that had closest access to his life. Who are those people? Media. If we think that what we watch isn't subtly transforming our minds and our hearts, we're either just naive or we're blatantly ignoring it. I was just really convicted this week, and I'm still convicted because I don't want to make changes, right? But it's like, God, are you pleased with what I'm watching right now? Like, if I were to ask him that question, God, are you pleased with this topless woman on TV right now? 
I'm going to say no. Probably not, right? That's not a tough one. And yet, good gracious, FX, HBO, Netflix, Hulu, all these shows, I mean, it's like in every show now. And yet I compromise it and be like, oh, it was only five seconds. Right? It's, not, it's, not the, it's not the main thing of the TV show. And the devil's like, that's good, that's right, that's right, that's right. Just a little compromise, that's just a little compromise. At some point, we're, we're actually going to believe that his way is better and surrender our lives to it. And we're going to find the fullness of life in that or we're going to keep trusting in other influences or what makes sense to us or loving the world around us. And we're never going to get where we want to be. And we're going to get down the road a year later and go, dang it, something's still missing. Ten years later, gosh, this whole, this whole Christianity thing, it's not what it's cracked up to be. And yet the eternal God is like, hey, I'm not, I haven't changed. I'm the same. I'm not holding out. Look, God's not expecting perfection. God's not expecting us to, to be perfect. We're able to be, actually, which is a wild thought by the Spirit of God in us. We're able to be, but God's not expecting it. And so if you're sitting here right now and you're like, gosh, this is a huge change, right? If you're thinking through the list of things that you're like, something needs to change here. What God wants is a heart of surrender that says, all right, God, all, all of me. I give you all of me. And then when we stumble again, when we mess up again, God wants a heart that says, God, I'm so sorry. I want all of you. I repent and I return to you. God knows that the, the walk of faith is like a two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, one step back. He knows there's going to be those steps back. What he wants is those two steps forward. Keep coming, right? Keep coming. When my kids started to learn how to walk, they don't, they don't just like start walking and boom, they're like jogging around the block with me. Right? Like they get up and they, they kind of wobble. They take a couple steps, if you call it that. It's like coordinated falling. It's like gravity is just pulling and they're just like throwing their feet out in front of them, right? And what do we do? We're like freaking out. We're like, yes! You took steps! You took a step! And then they go from two to four, and then they're falling down, and we're never like, gosh, come on. Why are you falling on your face, nine-month-old? Oh, I'm sorry, you're 14 months now? Yeah, I mean, no. Because we know that it's a progression. We know that our kids are going to stumble, and they're going to struggle in life, and we're not like, oh, you messed up. No, we cheer them on. Come on, you're doing great. And that's what our Father is doing with us. He's not expecting perfection. He wants a heart surrendered. He wants a heart that believes he's actually it. And that right here, right now, in this moment, we're going to surrender everything. And we're going to be as obedient as the Spirit enables us to be right now. And then we're going to walk. And then whatever moment that is that we stumble again, we're going we're to do it again. We're going to lay it back down and we're going to get back up and head back towards God. It's the path of growth. But we've got to put away the things that are pulling us down. Yes, we can put in all the right things, but if we're also injecting poison into our lives, all right, I can plant a tree and water it and put it in sun and give it all the soil and nutrients, but if I'm also infusing poison into the tree, it's not going to be a shock that the tree doesn't grow. So hear me. You want the abundant life. 
You do. God created you that way. It is found in seeking God's presence and being like Jesus. It is found in God. Put away the poison that the devil has somehow convinced us is good. Trust him, he's good for it. The devil is a lying thief. Lay it down and turn to God. Verse 2 tells us what we then do. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. The, the phrase law of the Lord is just another way of saying the Bible, God's word. And in the Psalms, all they had was the law that God gave to Moses. And so when they talked about the Bible, they just called it the law of the Lord because that's all they had at that time. So we now have the full Bible. And so we could just take that phrase out and just put the word Bible in there at this point. And it's his delight is in the Bible, the words of God, the words of God. And on his word, he meditates day and night. Delight is the response, right? It's just a joy and a passion and an excitement, right? Blessed is the person whose delight is in the law of the Lord. Blessed is the person who doesn't delight in and trust in the way of the ungodly, but whose delight and love and joy and excitement is in God's words. Do you have a delight for his word? To be honest, a lot of times I don't. It's more of a duty. It's more of a, I've got to do this. It's more of a, shoot, I'm a pastor and I don't know where the time went today. I better sit down and read something, right? Like, so often that's what, what happens. So how do we form a delight? Right, have you ever wondered that it's like, okay, how do I have a delight in your word? God, let me be honest, like it's kind of hard to understand Ezekiel. What do I do with Leviticus? You know, like we're, sometimes it's hard. God, I'm not a first century Jew. I don't understand the context. Like it's, it's work. So how do we delight in his word? The verb and the command we get in verse 2 is to meditate. That's the command, that's the, the action that God gives us to do. Meditate on his word day and night. Night and day. Day and night. Meditate on his word. To meditate, like I said, it's just to chew on. It, it's actually, uh, the word means to kind of mumble and grumble. Like a meditator is just someone that's kind of like, you know, just talking to himself, saying, man, if they do this, you know, if God's doing this. Like, like it's that person that walks around, and you're like, what are they talking? Are they talking to themselves? I apparently do that a lot. It, you're, just, you're just chewing on it, right? You're just, just ruminating on it. You're just asking questions back and forth. All right, God, if you're saying this, but then what does that mean of that? What are the implications of this? God, if you said this, and that was to a people who had just been saved from Egypt, what does that mean for, right? That's what it means to meditate. It means to sit in and to, to not just read over and move on, but to let it sink into us. We meditate on songs all the time. It's called repeat. We just play it again, and we play it again, and we play it again. Miles, we're out walking the dog. He's like, I don't remember stuff, but I remember songs. And I'm like, all right, cool. I don't even, what songs do you remember? I don't even remember. You know, he's like, I remember songs, right? Because we meditate on songs. Man, we get in the car, and boom, there it goes. We're meditating on it. It's just spending time in and soaking in. That's the command that we get and he says to meditate on God's word and that delight will come from it. Why? Psalm 19, it says that these are God's words and he does not lie. The law of the Lord is perfect, 
reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. These are all just different ways to say the word of God. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. God gave the words to David to say, hey, my word, man, it's better than gold. Like, it's a delight. So we may not necessarily believe it or think like, I don't know. We've got to trust God. That's where faith comes in. We've got to believe that his word is good and worth it, and we meditate on it. We sit in it. We think in it. So how do we do that? This is where I want to get very practical. Right? We, we understand. It's not tough. We understand God is saying, hey, there's two ways to live. One is a thriving, abundant life, that, that big, thriving tree. The other one is the dead tree in the backyard. Right? There's two ways to go. One is by trusting in me. The other is by trusting in things of this world. One is by following my way. The other is by following your way. Right? God's made it very clear the, the ways to go. And, and the way that we anchor into him and know him and love him is by spending time in communication with him. Again, in dialogue, this is, he's already begun the conversation with us. He's already given us his words. He's spoken them to, to us. He just wrote out his letter and he gave it to us. And the Bible says meditate on this, spend time in this. So how do we do that? So if you're a note taker, great. Then we're heading down your alley. If you're not a note taker, now's your time to start. First thing, how do we do this? One is set a time. Make a plan. You have a blank calendar paper given out to you. If you were to fill that in, I promise you, if you're like, okay, let me fill in my calendar, you're going to put your work schedule, your classes. You're going to put things on there. They're like, yeah, this is what I have to do and when, and that's fine. But then you're also going to find that once you get to your free time, your free choices, going out, working out, running, hobbies, all those things that really, like, you get the freedom, there's actually a good bit of time still. And so my recommendation would be start with making time for the Word of God, to spend time in communion with Him. It's one thing to say I love my wife or my kids, but if I don't make time for them, quality time for them, would you say that I love them? Anybody? No, right? No. Is me setting a date on the calendar, a time on the calendar for a date, is that unloving? Is that like, oh man, that's kind of cold and sterile? No. It's just practical. It's just smart. If I don't set it on the calendar, I'll have four things lined up. You know? Set a time. Make a time. It's okay. So just start looking at that calendar and be like, all right, when, when am I going to spend time with God in His Word? And set it on your calendar. And it's okay if you're like, dadgummit. I missed four days this week. All right, cool. Let's move forward. Let's keep going. Right, no point dwelling in that. Just get up and do it again. But set a time and start to prioritize that time. So if you, if you do this exercise, we should today all walk away and go, okay, on calendar, here, here is my time that I'm going to spend with God. 
hey, you want to go? No, I can't. I already have a commitment. Right? I'm already, I'm already having a date with God. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Right? Like, we've got to prioritize that. Stephen made the point, like, we're not going to do it if we don't want to. But if we truly want, if we truly believe, okay, God, I'm trusting you, and I'm going to step in this, he's going to prove faithful in the time we spend in that. He's going to. That's what he tells us. So that's what we trust. So the first thing we got to do, if we want to actually do this, is make time for it. Like, just set your time. The next thing is when you get to that time, let's say it's 7 a.m., and you get to that time, remove distractions. Remove distractions. Look, we are sitting down to have a conversation with God. I mean, I do this to Mike all the time, and he makes, like, gentle, kind um, comments about how, like, we're, we're working in our meeting, and he's like, hey, what are you, you texting over there? What are you doing? You know, like, and, and I'm, I'm distracted, right? Like, I'm trying to be with Mike in, in our meeting, but I'm also trying to, like, accomplish something else, and sometimes that's fine, but ultimately what that says is, like, hey, this time and you are not worth my undivided attention. Like, I, he's not making me feel better or anything, but that's what it is. Right, haven't you been with someone where you're like, hey, can we just put the phone down and like look in each other's eyes for a second? Like, can we just talk to each other's faces rather than, you know, while we're all over here multitasking and doing everything else? Like, this dadgum technological world, I, I mean, I, I, it's great in some ways. In other ways, I hate it. Absolutely hate it. Remove distractions. If you go on a date... And I see you on a date, you're sitting there on your phone, like I'm gonna come knock the phone out of your hand. Like, stop it. This is rude and it's not gonna go very well. But yet we do that with God because we don't we don't think he's real. Right? Like we don't we don't think he's really here with me. Remove distractions. Put away phones, silence them, turn them off, turn off the TV, right? If if a distraction for you is the fact that you're like you wake up and you're like, I am asleep still for the next two hours, then, then walk around a bit, you know, do something and then set your, your time two hours later. For me, it's like if I woke up and sat down with my Bible, I'm asleep again in three minutes. Like it's just game over, right? So I got to remove that distraction of sleepiness by getting me a good cup of coffee, doing something for a bit, right? Like maybe, and then I sit down and I'm like, all right, God, now I'm here. It's okay, be honest, be real. Don't try to force it, remove distractions remove distractions. Get a Bible, get a journal, a cup of coffee, a glass of wine, whatever it is that, that you're like, this is, man, I can just sit and be. Just be with the Lord. Three, focus your mind and heart on God. Remember what we're doing here. Remember that we are in a conversation with God. We're not reading a textbook. We're not studying something for, you know, that someone handed us to us. Like, we are sitting down with God himself, and he has begun a conversation with us by giving us his words. So he has sat down with us, and he has said, Macy, blessed is the person who walks not in the counsel of the wicked or stands in the way of sinners. Blessed is the person who doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers, but Macy, blessed is the one whose delight is in the Lord. That's his words to us. And so we need to sit down and we need to get our minds in the right place that we're having a conversation with God. 
And because of Jesus, because Jesus came and in his sacrifice removed our sin through forgiveness, we have direct access to the Heavenly Father, to the God of this world. And because he gives us his spirit, we can commune with God, y'all. Like, we can commune with God. I can't even call the governor up on the phone. And yet I can sit down and have a face-to-face dialogue with the God of this world. Prepare your mind. Focus it. All right, God, I'm here to know you. I'm here to talk with you, to listen to you, to dialogue with you. What do you have for me? And then read and listen to him speak to you. So the fourth thing is read. All right, we've prepared our minds, we've moved distractions, we just want to read his words. We just want, we want to read it. Let's see what he has for us. Maybe it's a chapter, maybe it's a section, maybe it's multiple chapters, but we just want to read his words like, like a letter written to us and we just want to read it and know him. We just want to read his words. Fifth, Meditate. So when we read his words, we want to meditate on them. We want to, to mull over them, right? We want to, to, um, to, to just kind of talk it out. Some key questions that, that's some key things of meditation. Observe, right? Observe what's going on. What, what, is, what is happening here? What's the context, right? Is, is, is this written to people in Austin in 2020? Or is this written to, you know, a context in Israel? Is this written to a people in Jerusalem? I mean, was it, was it hostile? Was it celebratory? What's the context that, so that we can understand what God's doing here, what he's talking about? Who's talking? Who's listening? Who are the main characters? Right, just make observations as you read it. The next thing is interpret what God is saying. One of the things I've heard so many times in, in Bible study discussions is like, oh, well, you know, to me this means, and, and here's the deal, if I, if I make some painting here, I'm not an artist, so I'm not going to make a painting, right? And if you come up and you study it and you're like, man, what does this mean? Well, you know, I think to me it means this. I think to me it means that there's a happiness, but there's this gloominess that's at war. And I think to me it's like an attack of, you know, alien forces. The reality is the artist has a meaning, right? The artist has a meaning, and the artist gets to determine what the meaning is. And so we don't get to come to God's word and be like, oh God, I, I think you meant this. Right? I think, that, I think that you meant this. No, we say, God, what did you mean? What is your intended meaning here? So we interpret what God is saying. We ask questions about his meaning. What is this teaching us about God's character? God, what are you teaching me about humanity and our character? What does this teach me? And this is a huge interpretation question. What does this teach me about Jesus and how Jesus ultimately fulfills whatever it is you're telling me? How Jesus enables me to live it, right? What is this teaching me about you, God, about me, about Jesus? We're interpreting God's meaning of the text. This is all in meditation. This is all just in us thinking deeply about it then we apply it. There's one interpretation and many applications, right? So God is saying one message and then he's applying it to Hayden's life differently than he's applying it to my life. That one true meaning. 
right? So there's, there's different applications. All right, God, what are you saying to me to do with this? The, the meaning is love your neighbor as you love yourself. Okay, God, what are you telling me? Oh, you're telling me to love my wife, my neighbor, to love my kids, to love Renee and Andrea. Hey, if you're watching, hello. Um, right, you're telling me to love my neighbor, but yes, I'm supposed to love your neighbor, but not like you're supposed to love your neighbor. Right, so the application becomes personal. God, what are you telling me to do with this? And the fourth thing of meditation, and this is the hardest one, wait. Wait. The number of times that word is in the Bible, gosh darn it. Right, I want it now and I want it to be quick. And God's like, hey, 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 wait on me. Wait for me to speak. Wait. Spend time in this. Sit in it. Chew on it. Meditate in it. Give yourself the space to wait because I will speak to you. Y'all, we have to come to time with the Lord expecting that he will speak to us. Expecting it. And we have to wait until we hear him speak. Let me give an illustration. I'm gonna put a, we're going to put a picture up on the screen. Wait just a second, Robert. And, and I just want you to, to look at it, and then, then we'll talk about it. So let's put it up for, I'll tell you when to take it off. Ready, set, go. Okay, that's good. Take it off. All right, group participation. What, what did you see? What, what, what was in the picture? So, what? Flowers. Okay, what else? What? Ribbon. A butterfly. Was there a butterfly? Maybe. Okay. Anybody else? What else did you see? Somebody on this side of the room? Black and white? Okay. Okay. Robert, put it up there for a little bit longer. I'll tell you when to take it off. Okay. Cool. Good. Take it off. What'd you see? An ichthus? Ichthus? The, the, the fish thing on the flower? Okay. Words, saw some words. Someone, someone back, back in the back rows. Leaves, sweet. What else we see? The ribbon on the bottom said, go make disciples. Something like that, okay. Okay, Robert, throw it back up there. So yeah, we got flowers, we got leaves, right? You've got the ichthus, you've got the alpha and omega symbols in those leaves. It says, I am Alpha and Omega. Here, it may be hard to see. Who do you say I am? Go and make disciples, right? The, the, little, the little flowers, their words, the truth and the life, or actually Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Over here, it says God is love in it. Can, can, I know it's small. Can y'all see some of those things? So, the point is, right, if we just sit down and we look at it real quick, like, we're going to see some things, for sure. Like, it's, you're going you're gonna to notice some things. Boom, write that down and move on. If you sit down and, and you spend a little more time, right, we're going to see some images, right? Some more is going to come to light. Like, oh, man, I didn't see that the first time I looked at it. Like, I, I saw that there was something, but I, I wasn't quite sure. Then we sit down and we spend some more time, like, we meditate on it, right? We start to see, oh, dang, I didn't see that there were words in the little flowers. I didn't see 
this. And it's, it's the same picture. It's the same image. But the more time we spend meditating on it, the more that we're able to pull from it and glean from it and to gain from it. And God's word is like, hey, you're never going to reach the bottom of this. Like you're never going to over know me through my words. And so he invites us to meditate, to spend some time. And, and that's just a little image, right? We spend time in God's word. It's, it's a delight. It's more value than gold. So we meditate, we spend time. The sixth thing we do is we pray. As we meditate, there's going to be dialogue that starts to come out within us. There's going to be commands that God tells us that we're like, I don't like this. We'll tell him. That's prayer. That's communication with God. We're going to have, you know, the Psalms tell us to praise God in the midst of the storm, and we're like, that is really difficult. We'll pray to talk to God about that. His word began the dialogue, and now we're responding to him. So as we meditate, there's going to be responses that come up. That's what happens when people journal. They're just like, you know, writing out their responses, and those are prayers to God. And so we dialogue those with God. We pray. This is where, this is where the, the fullness of life, this, start, this is where it's found is in the fact that we can sit down one-on-one with the God of this world and have conversation with him. The next thing we have is to refocus. So often we, we sit down, we read, we do our thing, then we shut it and we leave it. Take it with you, right? The, ver- the command says meditate day and night. It's this idea that it never leaves us. So we, recommend what we call refocusing prayers set a time where you stop and pray morning midday and evening it can be short time it can be short prayers it can be written prayers but just times where we stop and we refocus our mind back on him because the world is constantly pulling us towards him so set those times of refocusing prayers memorize it share it with others right like keep it in front of your life Again, here's the good news, is that Jesus has given us access. We have access to the God of this world through what Jesus has done. In his death, he removes our sin, which is the obstacle that keeps us from God, and in his resurrection, he offers us his life with God. When we trust him, we're seated in the heavenly places with Jesus. We are restored to his position and status. We have access to God. He's not holding out on us. This time with God can be revolutionary and life-changing. Come on, I will, we don't have to do a show of hands because I, I already know the answer, is that for maybe all of us, 95% of our quiet times, our time with God has just been like, meh. Like, we maybe do it, but like, would we say that that is our high? Like, that is our spiritual high? I would bet the vast majority of us, the vast majority of the time, no. And yet I don't believe that's God's design. I believe he's like, dude, come on. We can go, we can do this all the time, all the time. And that's the invitation that he gives us. That is the biggest piece to growing in the fullness of life. So if you want the fullness of life in God, the biggest piece is putting this into our lives. So if you're like, man, I really want that, 
but you don't spend time alone with God, I would tell you, you don't really want it. You want maybe his benefits or his gifts or his things, but you don't really want him. You maybe want the good feeling that comes with it or the good feeling like I'm doing the right things, but you don't really want him. If we really want the fullness of life, hear me, listen to this. If we really want the fullness of life, is first by a trust and faith in Jesus alone, and then it is in spending time with God. That's what Mary did. She sat at the feet of Jesus, and she just listened to his words. And Jesus said, that is the best thing. The invitation's given, y'all. It's, it's, here, it's here for us. It's here for us. God's not holding out. But he's inviting us to to value and trust him more than the other things that we value and trust and lean into. And that's where it's going to get tough. Do you value and trust him more that you will actually prioritize spending time with him over everything else? His word tells us, his word tells us that is where the blessed life takes roots. The fullness of life takes roots when we spend time with him. Everything else is just talk. It's just talk. We're going to do what we want to do. If we want this, God's opened it up for us. It's in His presence with Him. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church Podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.